0: Welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host, I'm Caitlin. Usually I do longer episodes, but this is a mini episode. It's gonna be shorter. It's me talking about a film in the moment and just sharing my thoughts as they come. I kind of think of them as an audio diary or an audio message that I'm leaving for anybody who stumbles upon this. And because of certain circumstances in my life, I've just had to pull back from this podcast. But I do still want to preserve this space because I like having a space to talk about cinema in a personal way. I don't know how to put what I feel into words at times. I see the world changing in ways that frighten and disturb me. Instead of retreating and, and instead of walling myself off, running away, I'm the kind of person, I think, who I can't turn away anymore. I do feel things deeply and I am vulnerable and I am raw and I don't belong and I don't fit into this world and I know that, and I don't want to harden. I've been through some difficult things the past couple of years. I've been very hurt by certain people, like deeply wounded in some ways. And it would be very easy to become cynical about people. It would be very easy to not trust anymore. It would be easy to harden myself. And I refuse. I want to soften. I want to be even more real and raw and vulnerable, almost as an act of resistance against a world that continues to devalue and dehumanize us. And I've seen it happening with social media. Things have changed a lot since I started this podcast, and it's difficult to see those changes in the world. I started this in 2016, and now it's 2022. I've gone through a lot in that time, but you know what? I'm almost 33 years old as I record this, and for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm finally who I was meant to be. I finally love myself and care about myself. I feel like I'm healing from certain things that I've been through. And a lot of this has come through pain and heartbreak. But sometimes the things that bring you to your knees, sometimes you have to be brought to your knees, maybe. Sometimes you have to fall apart. You have to lose control. You have to hit rock bottom. And then you finally wake up You finally see your worth. You finally start to fight for yourself. And I feel like that's what I'm finally doing. And this world just doesn't have a space for somebody like me. Like my sensitivity, my vulnerability, the way that I feel deeply. And it's so hard to find people who get it. People who are on the same page. And so I hold on to this space so that I can share parts of myself that I can't find a space for. And I feel like film is still a way that we can connect with our own humanity, our own empathy. I think Roger Ebert called film like an empathy machine. I might be misquoting him. I still need a space to go deeply into something because I'm tired of tweets. And I'm tired of Instagram. And I'm tired of social media. I'm tired of the surface. I'm tired of the superficial. I'm tired of the shallow. Sometimes you need it. It's fine. But I'm the kind of person... I have to go deeply into things. And so that's why I keep doing these little episodes now and then. That's my little spiel before I get into Cronenberg. But I've gotten really into David Cronenberg recently. Just watched Videodrome recently and watched Dead Ringers. And a few years ago, I saw Crash. And I adore Crash. Not the one that won the Oscar. <laughs> what a horrible film that was. This is Cronenberg's Crash with James Spader. Something I realized about Cronenberg is that, like, I really like some of the actors that he has in his films. I find some of them very attractive. I need my James Spader. I need my Jeremy Irons. So, I'm gonna talk about Dead Ringer's for a little bit. This is not gonna be a really long episode. I love Jeremy Irons. I think he's a magnificent actor, and he's particularly magnificent in Dead Ringers, where he plays two characters. He plays twins, Beverly and Elliot, right? It's seamless. I mean, you know there's not two of Jeremy Irons, but you don't see the trickery. You don't see the way that Cronenberg does it. So, Dead Ringers is this fascinating film about these twins who are gynecologists. In these shorter episodes, I don't feel the need to go deeply into the plot or the narrative. I'm assuming that anybody listening to this episode has watched the film, knows all about it, that's how you found me. Crash is my favorite, Cronenberg. I think Dead Ringers is definitely second after that. And then Videodrome was difficult for me, although I do think that Videodrome, what I feel about that film is really like a deep critique of um, television, yes, but also the way that sex and violence has been merged together in a lot of media. Dead Ringers, for me, this is what I want to talk about in this short episode. I want to just pinpoint a few themes that move me and that make me think deeper and that activate me, I guess. This is what I like about certain directors' Michael Haneke would be another one. Like, I love actors, uh, not actors, but I love directors who, like, activate something within me, and they get me thinking, and Haneke's a big one, and Cronenberg has kind of become like that for me, and Dead Ringers for me is about, it's about a lot of things, but I think for me... It gets at codependency. It gets at a relationship between two people, Elliot and Beverly. Sort of this dynamic of you can't live with someone, you can't live without them. And the dangers of codependency. The dangers of not being able to separate yourself from another person. And I think that it's not just about... I don't think you have to be a twin. To understand that. And I've been in codependent relationships for sure. That's happened for me in the past. This is just like an extreme codependent relationship. I would say it's even more than that. Like they're interdependent, they're interlocked, intertwined. I mean, they were together from the time they were in the womb, the two of them, and their lives are inseparable. They have the same profession, they live together. They share women sexually and they have created this life where both of them are comfortable. And what's fascinating to me about the film is Claire and the way that she enters that dynamic. It almost becomes a triangle, like a love triangle in a way. But Claire enters it and she destabilizes everything because she inspires Beverly to consider what it would mean to live his own life and to take responsibility for himself, and to separate himself from his brother Elliot. When we are in a dependent relationship with another person, in a very deep connection, and I'm not even saying that it has to be a toxic relationship, it can be a very loving, close relationship between a child and a parent, between two people in a romantic relationship, two people in a friendship, but there can come a time when you don't know yourself outside of that person, and you become so dependent on them. For me, what this film raises is, what does it mean to separate yourself from somebody? What Or what happens when two people are in a dynamic like that. And one person decides that that's not enough anymore. That that life doesn't fit them anymore. And that they want more. They want something different. They want something else. And what is the the cost of that to the relationship? And isn't it always violent? There's a kind of violence in trying to separate yourself from somebody who you've become so interconnected and codependent with. There's a violence about the separation. And there's pain that happens in the person who wants to leave and the one who has left. And Elliot is not going to allow Beverly to leave, really, and can Can they separate themselves from each other? Claire comes into the situation. I don't believe that Beverly is in love with her. I don't think that what Beverly feels for her is love. (laughs) It's obsession. It's addiction. It's fascination, infatuation, right? But I don't know if it's love. I think there's maybe the possibility of love. Although I do think that Beverly would be swapping one codependent relationship for another. But Beverly doesn't have what it takes to walk away from Elliot and to make a life with Claire. There's the possibility of that in the film, but it never comes to fruition because he, in a way is conjoined to Elliot there's that dream that he has where they're conjoined twins. He feels emotionally conjoined with Elliot. These are two people who can who are almost one like they are fused together in an unhealthy, damaging way. And they cannot tear themselves apart because if they tear... I mean, at the end, when they try to tear themselves apart, they pretty much both end up dying. It's like they're this one organism. And when you try to split that organism in half, both people die. It's almost like... A surgery to to separate conjoined twins, but then both twins end up dying because they feed off each other. Elliot and Beverly. It's almost like they share an umbilical cord or something, and they get mutual nourishment, mutual whatever from each other. Beverly sort of dares to want his own freedom. He dares to want to walk away and be with Claire. Claire is like this very destabilizing agent that comes in. She's brash and she's confident and she's an actress and she has this interesting anomaly about her uterus that I think captivates beverly and so he's very fascinated by her his attachment to claire threatens his attachment to elliot he almost becomes more attached to claire more obsessed more connected to her and that threatens elliot threatens the relationship with elliot when we're in a codependent relationship how do we break out of that without doing harm Right? Or when we're even just in a really close bond with another person. And maybe we realize that we want a different life. We want something else. This isn't enough. How do we end that without like a violence taking place? Because I think it does happen. When one person wants to leave and the other person isn't ready for that. How do you step out on your own? How do you create your own life separate from another person? I don't know. I think if you're someone who struggles with codependency or struggles with like really intense bonds that converge on something that's not healthy, it's an interesting question to think about. The second thing that struck me about this film was a way that it looks at gynecology, the way that women are, are treated by men, particularly male doctors. I think Beverly and Elliot are some of the most misogynistic men I've ever seen on screen like in a film it's interesting that they're they're gynecologists and you have these men who are inventing instruments to use on women's bodies that calls harm to women. And the history of gynecology is incredibly brutal. One of the men who's the most famous with it, he performed experiments on African-American women who were enslaved, like in Alabama, I believe. The history of gynecology has been dominated by men, much like all the, the fields of medicine and the medical establishment's been dominated by men rather than being dominated by women. And you know, hundreds of years ago when the witch hunts happened and witch trials, this was more in Europe, but they went after midwives, right? They went after women who were helping other women with their reproductive health, telling them about birth control, stuff like that, about their bodies. It's always, that knowledge is always very dangerous and we see it in the world today in the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the forces and power that want to legislate women's bodies, legislate, you know, our lives, then I think the medical establishment can also be uh, harmful at times in withholding knowledge about women's bodies. A lot of women don't understand their own bodies. They don't know about their body parts and all the, that diff- all those things. It's knowledge that's withheld from them and some of the scenes in the film where we see the gynecology happening where like the women are there and they're at the mercy of these men. They're being hurt by them and we see men being rewarded for their inventions for like women's health. What about women being authorities on their own bodies and having control and power over their own bodies? They have to go through this male establishment, these male doctors, to even have access to knowledge about their bodies. And these men reduce women to their bodies as well. At one point, one of the twins says something about having a beauty pageant based on organs, on what's inside your body. They have completely reduced women to anatomy. And there's something so misogynistic about it. It made me so uncomfortable. Even when it comes to Claire. Beverly is fascinated by that anomaly in her uterus and he calls her like mutant, like she's a mutant woman. And then he makes those tools at the end of the film. Does he ever see her as fully human? I don't know. I think she's a fascinating character, actually. There's a very powerful scene when Claire and Beverly are having sex. Something I think I'm drawn to about Cronenberg is his sex scenes. Because for me, they're always about more than just sex. And I think the best sex scenes are about more than just sex. They might be about violence, they might be about vulnerability, exposure, emotional nakedness, connection or something, and or power dynamics. And so she is tied up to the bed with surgical instruments and stuff, and they're having sex, and then after that, she is telling him, like, how desperately she wants to have a child. And because of the issue with her uterus, like, she's not going to be able to have a child. And that's devastating for her. She is addicted to drugs. She's an actress, but she is in a lot of pain because of the one thing that she can't have, which is a child. She can't create life inside her body. And it's plagued many women throughout history, from Marilyn Monroe to Frida Kahlo. The anguish of not being able to create life. And there is something that happens to some, I would say many women, when you get in your 30s, it hits you. (laughs) Like, Like, I always said I wasn't interested in having children. And I'm still not gonna have children. I'm not interested in that. But when I got into my 30s, I started to th- want it more. Like something just explodes inside you when you hit your 30s as a woman. I mean, at least for me and for other, you know, women that I know in my life, this is something very real that you want to have a child. Like you feel, you think, well, maybe I wanted to, I don't know, you know it becomes more pressing in a weird way than it did in my 20s. So in that scene, they're having sex and she's so vulnerable. She's so, like, she even says it. She says, I'm so vulnerable. I'm slashed open. She's almost bleeding in front of him. And she begs him to not tell anybody about this anomaly in her uterus, this issue that she has. And she says something like, I'll always be a little girl. I'll never really be a woman. That just hit me so hard as, like, a woman in her 30s the way that I am and, like, realizing and maybe even grieving that I won't have children, that I won't have a little girls, you know? I won't be a grandmother. I won't be a mother, right? I won't create life. And even though I didn't necessarily want that, I guess, or it just hadn't occurred to me because of different things in my life, there is still some kind of grief there, I think, for the child I will never have, the life that I will never incubate, the life I will never create and have in my body, the way that my mother did or my grandmother did, right? And this is a very primal desire for some women. And it can cause terrible anguish when they can't have it. And Claire is just so raw in that moment. I'm slashed open. And she feels like, I guess, she's not even a woman. Like, she doesn't feel that. She feels like she'll always be a little girl because she'll never get to have a child. And I just found that scene to be really moving. And she goes to him because she wants him to help her have a child. But of course, he can't do that. And then he becomes obsessed with her. She destabilizes the twins. She destabilizes that relationship. She is like a bomb that goes off. In that um, relationship, because now Beverly gets a taste of something else. He gets a taste of something more than his empty, hollow life with Elliot, with them sharing women and using women as objects for their own pleasure, seeing women as just bodies that they can operate on, or you know, insert things into, and just like anatomy for them to dissect and to study. Now there's a real life woman with thoughts and feelings and emotions and desires and pain and anguish right in front of him. And I do think he feels something for her. And maybe it's the first time in his life that he's allowed himself to feel something for somebody else, to feel something for a woman, to care about her. To possibly love her, I don't know. I don't know if he really loves her, if he's just obsessed and addicted to her. But I do think he feels something, and I don't think Elliot can feel anything. I think Elliot is the the very cold one, and what he feels for Claire threatens what he feels for Elliot. And he has something with Claire that he's never had with Elliot, and that he never can have with Elliot. And he gets a taste of a of an alternative life, of what could be outside of that cold relationship that he's had his whole life. Outside of that interdependent, interconnected, intertwined, conjoined relationship with Elliot. And I think he wants more. And I think he wants something else. And he doesn't know how to have it or take it. It's offered to him. It's there. It's the It's the gift, the opportunity, the cup in a way that's being offered to him. But he can't take it. He can't leave Elliot because he is part of Elliot and Elliot is part of him. They are one. And can Claire really have Beverly without Elliot? (laughs) Because the two of them are so fused and so like they are one. Can you really separate them? And if you try to separate them, there's a violence that happens in the process. And perhaps both of them are destroyed because they can't live without each other because it's all they ever knew from the moment they were in the womb of their mother. And so how can you give that up? How can you walk away from that? But don't you have to? Beverly could live. Beverly could choose life. Beverly could choose love possible love and connection and feeling and something else something better possibly but it would be the unknown and it would be what he's never had before and it would take risk and it would take taking a chance and it would require enormous things from him to leave Elliot and to be with Claire to strike out on his own, to be an individual, to take responsibility for his life. And he can't do it. At the end of the film, he can't do it. He can never break free of Elliot. He refuses to break free. He chooses not to break free because he could, but he's so dependent on Elliot and so joined with him. They are one. He can't live without Elliot, but... Now that he's met Claire, can he go back to who he was before he met Claire? Can he live with Elliot? Can he go back to that life with Elliot? Now that he's known something different, something deeper, something more emotional. Now that he's felt something for another human being. Felt something for a woman, a woman. She's not just in a textbook, not a a cadaver, not a woman on a table, not a patient, but a person, a human being. And he doesn't know what to do with that or how to take that. But the thing is, maybe all of us have been confronted with that. What is the risk of leaving what's comfortable and familiar? What's the risk of leaving a relationship that isn't fulfilling anymore? What's the risk of separating ourselves and taking responsibility for our lives and walking away from something or somebody? when it's easier to stay, or it's more comfortable to stay, or it's what we've always known. Those were just some things I was thinking about with the film. There's more there. There's a lot more. There are many layers to Dead Ringers. I thought Jeremy Irons gave a spectacular performance, but for me, on a very deep level, it's about that dependency on another person or maybe even like what there's drugs in the film the drug addiction and that's a dependency I mean it's it could it doesn't have to just be your dependency on a person but maybe a dependency on a substance there's all kinds of ways to look at the film and to think about it and these are just my thoughts and so I appreciate you listening I'll stop here until next time keep watching great films